Hey, welcome to the Transforming Life Church podcast. We hope this encourages you and inspires you in your journey with Christ. So sit back, relax, and check out this week's message. All right, good morning, Transforming Life. Um, as my wife announced, um, I'm Dean, and we're the teaching pastors here. And uh, this week we're going to kind of dive into part two of Pressure Points. I last week kind of spoke on trials and tribulations, and this week we're going to kind of jump on the other side of that coin because uh, trials usually come from outside, kind of like we experienced this week um, in our church. We had, we had huge trials come on, Pastor Kyle, that's why he's not here today. Uh, but temptation is the other side of that coin. Those are trials that start within. And when we have trials that start within, it's much harder to deal with. Like you said before, trials that are outside, we're not looking for them, uh, we're not searching for them, they come out of nowhere. Uh, but when we have trials within us, they're temptations that well up from our desires and enticements. And so we have to remember that they're two different, they're both the same uh, as far as trials and tribulations, but the temptation comes from within inside. And those are much harder sometimes to deal with because they're us. Um, outside, we can try to prepare for it, but when it's coming well enough from inside, we have to take a whole other approach. Um, and, Paul, and James knew this. And so James was writing to these recipients because he knew that they had trials. They had temptations they were de dealing with um, in the Middle East back in that century. And so James addressed them as my beloved brothers um, because he loved them. He wanted them to get past this. He knew how hard life was. He knew how hard it was to live righteously. He knew how hard uh, trials came and temptations came and how havoc wreaks on our lives. But he, he looked at him and he said, look, I love you guys and I want you to beat this because I know that my brother Jesus told you that there is freedom if you follow this way. And James said that when we follow Christ and we want to further our Christian walk, uh, we need to learn to stand against these temptations that wreak havoc. And so that's what we're going to dive into. Um, so first, we kind of look at what James wrote to them in James 1, 13 through 18. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived birth, to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought forth us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we ask right now that our ears be opened, our hearts be softened, our mind be ready to receive what you have for us today. Father, we ask right now that you put your hand upon us, that you guide us through this life, through these temptations, through these desires that you gave us, and Lord, let us feed on what the good food is, not the bad food. We love you, Father, and we thank you. Amen. See, he said of God's own will, he brought each of us forth by the truth, right? That's the word you guys have in your hand today. It might be an electronic device. It still might be the old-fashioned hard copy. But he gave us this word. 
He did it so, so that we, we might be examples to his creatures, right? So that we walk through this. And when we're in a battle against the enemy, there's nothing worse than fighting beside someone that's been only being a traitor to you. And we see this, um, these traitors, we see it in warfare. We see it in athletics, right? Sometimes you see football players, um, you give it up and just for a little bit of gain, and they might throw a game. And then you see sometimes the star players, they deceive their coach, they, they you know, betray their teammates, they betray their university or whatever team they're with um, just for a little monetary gain. We find this kind of betrayal in marriages. Uh, when one spouse gives up on their covenant and commitment and pursues another. And we see this in businesses when we give up intellectual property or we give up company secrets just to gain higher pay from another company. But when we as Americans think of the word traitor, I know the first one that came to my mind was Benedict Arnold. Um, if you guys don't know who he is, he was a rising star in the U.S. Army. He was a great-looking soldier. He graduated from West Point. He was top of his class, an all-nauter that he had come to love. But yet, when he was passed up for commendations and passed up for you know, promotions, he started getting a little deceitful. He, then he met this loyalist woman. I'm kind of seeing a pattern with his woman. No, I'm just uh, but he met this loyalist woman, and then she was really against what the colony was doing. And so as he was getting passed up, as he was getting promoted, she convinced him that what they were doing was wrong, and he turned against his people, and he was fighting alongside of them, but then he betrayed them, and he took over and, for the Britons. And that's the central reason why we lost Beth, you know, West Point during the Revolutionary War. And years later, George Washington was asked, out of all your greatest enemies, in all your battles that you fought, what, who was your worst problem? And he said, it was hard to tell if it was the man, my friend, who betrayed me, or all the armies of General Cornwall. And so what he was saying is that it was all the large armies of the Redcoats pale in comparison to one friend betraying you. And so we each have a traitor inside of us. And it is hard sometimes to deal with. You know, I have a traitor, you have a traitor. Our traitor trades in everything for its desire, and we abandon all that we know for deceit and temptations, and we fall for it. And so it's, no, it's very difficult to fight someone that is in you constantly. There are internal struggles. And in the word, when we read James, there's one word in Greek. Um, that's translated two different ways, trials and tri tribulations, and then also temptation. It's the same word in both times. If you read in verse 1, it says in verse, in verse 1, he says, Consider pure joy when you meet trials. That's one Greek word, parameos. And then he says in verse 13, And when he says you're tempted, it's the same Greek word, just in the verb form. And so how do you ask that sometimes, how do you the same word mean two different words in our language? Well, I look at it like this. 
An assailant can use a knife to cut and maim and destroy you. But the surgeon can take that same knife and do surgery and precision cut to heal you. And that is the difference between the trials and tribulations. That's why we look at it because the enemy is coming to destroy us, to cut us, and everything. But God is going to use the trials of our lives to cut out those bad things. It might hurt, but in, in the future, it's going to turn us into what God created us to be. And so that's our goal today, is to learn these things. So first one is, we need to know what the substance of temptation is. We'll begin with the substance of James 13a, 113a. Let no one say when he is tempted. So what is temptation? Sometimes we have a hard time defining that because each person is tempted differently, right? Um, and some people might even think temptation is a sin, right? And, and so it isn't, and here's why we know that. We call this a syllogism. It's two truths that apply to an objective truth. So first we know Jesus was sinless, right? The Bible tells us that we can all agree upon that. And then the second is Jesus was tempted, right? So therefore, if he was sinless and tempted, the conclusion is that temptation in itself is not sin. So the Bible says that Jesus was sinless and yet he was tempted, therefore temptation is not sin. We read in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So we know that temptation first doesn't mean sin. Everybody here is tempted, right? There's, there's a problem with it. And then out of the, I'm not going to assume out of the 7 billion people we have here in, in the world, that garbage is not, you know, attractive to some people, right? Garbage and maggots. Plato and they like, you, you got those fruit divers that dive in dumpsters and eat garbage fruit. But to me, it is not attractive, right? And why? Because it just doesn't look good. A lot of us would say we're not attracted to eat garbage. But what we are attracted to is what entices us and draws us with some kind of luring. luring. And just think of a fishing lure, right? We, we have, it's beautiful, it's colorful, it's got some shiny objects on it, but yet what does it do? It hides the hook and the line that eventually will entrap us. In the same way, the devil uses the same schemes. He makes it look good, he makes it look shiny, he makes it look edible to us. Whether through any desire. But yet we are unaware a lot of times of the hook that takes place. And then we just start getting real in until it's too late, which eventually will lead to death. And so the next part is that temptations should be expected, right? We, we learn also that trials are expected, so we will also learn that temptations are expected. Notice in verse 13, he says, let no one say when he is tempted. It doesn't say if, it says when. We all will have temptations. It's not that temptations might come. They're going to come. It's only a matter of time. So we should expect them. We should be watching at all times, at all occasions. I th think about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, look, stay awake with me and pray so that you may not be tempted. Because he knew it was coming. He knew when they dragged him away. He knew when he was crucified. They were going to, if they weren't prayed up, 
they weren't doing these things, they were going to be tempted to walk away from what God had called them to do. And so he said, look, pray up, stay in my faith, just stay awake. And that isn't what we need to do as Christians today. We need to stay alert. We need to stay awake. And we talk about that on Wednesday night, about staying awake, remembering what we're thinking about. We even had small groups on those things. The next one, none of us are exempt, right? The Bible's not full of stories that people that just struggled with temptations. It's filled with many stories of people that fell into those. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible, the brutal honesty. It's not a perfect people. It's not people that have it all together. These are people that struggle just like you and I. A lot of us can put on a facade for times, but pretty soon that will come out. And these people struggle. If you look even way back to Adam and Eve, you look at Noah, you look at Abraham, you look at Jacob, you look at Joseph. Well, he was tempted, but he didn't fall, so we think, oh, maybe humanity has got it right. Uh, but then you go down, and then Moses was tempted and fell, and then Samson tempted and fell, King Saul was tempted and fell, David tempted and fell twice, Solomon, with all of his wisdom, tempted and fell, and even Daniel was tempted, but what did Daniel do? Daniel stood the test. So we're like, all right, maybe this is a new thing. Okay, Daniel got it. We can get it. Uh, but no, the prophets, they tempted and fell. Uh, then we get to the New Testament as we're reading. And, and you look at John the Baptist. He was tempted and he withstood. We're like, all right, yes, John did it. There was hope for us. And then the 12 disciples, what did they do? Tempted and fell. And so it's a pattern. It's something that we got to deal with. And we should remember that Jesus was tempted, but he was tempted directly by the devil. You know, if you're reading Luke 4.1. And one of the greatest we can, lies we can believe is that we are the only one um, that is tempted. That's, that's garbage. Everyone is tempted. Everybody struggles. We might not be tempted with the same thing, um, but it is our desires that entice us to those things. Like, I will never be tempted by black tar heroin um, it's just not in me to do that. But some people struggle with it. They see it and they want it. Their body craves it. Um, so we all have some sort of temptations. Um, and remember, when we're pointing at others that fell into their temptation, that we have three fingers pointing right back at us because we might not be outward left. But if we stay on this path and we entertain those temptations, we keep filling our desires with things that are not of what we were supposed to be filling it with. We will fall into that, and eventually that temptation, that hidden sin will come out. And we're not exempt. The next thing we find is temptations can be hard to explain. You know, sometimes temptations are explained if all we can do is write down exactly what we struggle with. And I recommend a book called Switch on Your Brain by Caroline Leaf. We went through it one Wednesday night. Um, and there's, in the growth section, you'll find a 21-day detox, your brain, um, which I highly recommend because what happens neurologically, we create pathways every time you fall into that sin. And that pathway, the more and the more you walk on it, creates a path. Just like if you walked in your yard from your door to your mailbox, eventually that path will wear in. And that path is the easiest route. Um, but I recommend that book. I recommend that detox because it's going to help you with your temptations. Because it's not going to be, how can I say this, when I was young, 
youth pastor told me, if you get a bad thought, cast it out. And to me, it's the worst thing that you can tell somebody because, yes, you shouldn't play with the thought, correct, but find out why you had that thought, where, what happened to make you have that thought. We are thinking, feeling, choosing human beings. We think, feel, and choose over 100 times a second, and then subconsciously, we do it over 400 times a second. So when we're thinking, feeling, and choosing, we need to think about these things. We're intelligent creatures. So think on those things. Don't dwell on the sin itself, but think, why is this tempting me? Why is this desirable to me? What is going on? What happened? It might be something that happened in our childhood that caused this temptation. It might be a habitual sin that started before we knew it was sin. And so define those things, and that 21-day detox will help you because it's hard to just change a pattern of thought if you don't know why you keep thinking it, why it's desirable, why it is these things. And the next thing is, it's easy to make excuses. Figuring out where it came from is so important to, to actually ending it and dealing with it. But we live in a society that seeks to take every problem and stick this and reduce it to a label. Right? And I know sometimes labels are important for medical and, and some physical and some emotional and some mental issues. Labels are important. But a lot of times we put addiction on everything. And we kind of write it off that, well, I'm addicted. It's not my fault. I have a sex addiction. I have a money addiction. And so we don't deal with the root. We kind of let it give us a pass. And yeah, and sometimes these addictions are hard and they're real and they're in your mind. You can't fight it the way you want to. But sometimes we have to take responsibility for ourselves. We have to go in and find out these things. We have to, to tackle these things head on. Um, but everything is be called addiction, but when we allow someone to blame their behavior on addiction, we're not helping them. A lot of times we're hurting them because they're not fixing the problem. A lot of times they're medicating the problem when that medication is gone or the medication quits working, that addiction takes over and we keep going forward. And so not to discount that any of these things are real, there's a lot of real illness, a lot of real addiction, a lot of real mental issues that, that are chemically imbalanced and there's different issues like that, but I'm saying the ones that we can fight, the ones that we can retrain our brain. Um, and we're tempted sometimes to excuse ourselves by saying, well, I'm just a sinner, and that's what I do. I can't help myself, I just have to have it. Our, our world, world is filled with people that fall into those temptations. Our church is even filled with people that fall into those temptations, that, that think they can't change, they think that no matter what they do, that's who I am, that's how I was born, that's what my desires are, and I can't fight that desire. But when we give in to certain temptations over and over, we start trying to curb it, and we see that it's impossible to overcome. The man or woman who ingests drugs and believes uh, those drugs, you know, need to take those drugs to survive, and they will scream out when they try to quit, right? Their body will even go into convulsions because they've been taking it so long They've been doing it for so much that all hell will break loose when they try to quit. And a lot of times that's their excuse. I'm not quitting because I know my life is going to go to hell. All my things are going to happen because that addiction has such a hold on them that they can't get it. And that's what we want to get past today. And before you get to that point, before you get that far down the road, that we can curb your temptations. And you can do these things.
things. So in order to battle against these, some sort of temptations, we have to prepare, right? We have to build these walls up around us. We have to build strong determination because if we don't at some point, it will cause, cause our life to go off these rails. Um, but it's very tough to eliminate these habits. It's not going to be an easy road. Number two, the source of temptation. James writes in verse 13 and 14, Let no one say that, he, that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So our first instinct to confront temptation is to blame someone else, right? We want to surely we can't think it's our fault that I'm tempted. It's not my fault that I'm on this. When the kids get in an argument, the mom and dad will ask, who started this and what happens, right? Fingers start pointing. That's the first thing they do. Blame takes place. Why? The kids are no different than anyone else, right? We're part of a human race that does that. When heat is directed in our direction, we want to deflect it to someone else. It's someone else's fault. So next, we should not blame God for our temptation, right? Our first impulse tend to be blame God. James specifically tells us we cannot blame God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So what in sense he's saying in the same phrase both times, right? He's saying that clearly that option is off limits. It's not God's fault. We can't blame him. Author Chuck Swindell wrote, uh, don't even remotely suggest that God has anything to do with your temptation. His character makes it kind, that kind of conduct, conduct impossible. After Job lost everything, right? Um, he did not sin, he did not blame God for any of it, right? So his example is what we would, should follow. We should not do it, but we do it all the time. God, you have surrounded me with dumb people. It's your fault. God, I've read that you poured out your wrath in the Old Testament. Let me pour it out. God, you gave me my spouse. God, you gave me these kids. You gave me the problem. Therefore, it's your issue, God, not mine. And so we do that a lot. And that's one thing we can't do. We shouldn't pass the buck. We need to look internally. Last week, Kyle talked about how James and Jesus grew up together and how um, their trials and tribulations might have happened, or, you know, people were like, Jesus, James, James, you need to do better just like Jesus. But I even, in my mind, when I was sitting there, kind of took it a step further. Maybe Jesus and James were fighting. Mary busts in, like, what's going on? James like, Jesus started it. And Mary's like, you know, I didn't do that. <laughs> right? So, it's not Jesus' fault. And, and he doesn't, nor he can't start because God can't be tempted. He can't start it. He can't blame him. Right? James couldn't blame him. This is all speculation. Just in my mind, I'm seeing him fight. Just like all kids. So we should not pass the buck is next. Right? James tells us we can't blame God, so what do we do next? Right? We blame someone else. Right? We say, okay, I'll find someone else to blame. We do it all the time. Right? For example, you know when you're tempted for lust, right? You might say, you don't know how pretty she is. You don't know how provocative she was dressed. Or the girl might say, you don't know how handsome that guy is. You don't know how great in sports he is. You don't know how, you know, just a, what great guy he is. Or even, it's his fault, not mine. He talked to me, gave me the attention my husband didn't give me. So therefore, I was lured. It's not my fault. 
Or what about sinful anger? Sinful anger, right? You don't understand how mad my spouse makes me, how mad my kids make me. It's their fault. What about lying? You don't understand the pressure I am at work. If I don't fudge these numbers, I will not survive here. Or how about you don't understand how easily life can be when you have money. Therefore, I'm going to fill in my, you know, become greedy and do these things. Think about the beginning when God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them dominion over everything. Everything was going good. And then the snake came in and tempted them and said, surely if you eat this, you will not die. But when they ate it, they felt naked and ashamed. So they hid from God. God started walking like he normally does. And he couldn't find them. He said, why are you hiding? He said, because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? And he said, hey, God, it was the woman that gave me the apple. And I ate it. So what he was saying is essentially, God, it's your fault. We were having a great time together, God. We used to walk together. We used to talk. We named the animals together. We were having fun. And then you brought her into the picture. She gave it an apple. <laughs> so then God, he looked at Eve. He's like, all right, he's laughing. He's like, she's like, well, that, that sounded good from Adam. Like it was a snake. Then the snake did it. Right? So, so this has been our MO from the beginning of time. We started this, the blame game. And so they knew they were guilty. They had to try to cover themselves. And all of us have been blamed by someone, right? All of us have been saying it's your fault that I do this. It's your fault that I acted out. You get abused spouses that said, I'm sorry, it's my fault. I shouldn't have pushed that button to make you hit me, right? We fall into that game a lot. And that's one thing that we got to realize, that it is a scheme. It is our desires. It is these things that are bringing us into this temptation to do the wrong. The scriptures tell us, while the devil uses temptation as a weapon against us, he is simply working off our own desires. He doesn't give us those desires. These desires are God-given. If you think about hunger, hunger is a great desire because if you weren't hungry, you wouldn't feed your body, you wouldn't have energy to do things. But it's when we fill our body with junk and fill our body with stuff that is not healthy that that becomes gluttony or that becomes that sin that destroys your body eventually. I think about if you're on a, a trip, you say, okay, God said, look, the best food you're going to eat is my food. This is the only food you should eat is on exit 48. And you, you jump out on Park Road and you start smelling Burger King. See, the enemy cannot make you turn into Burger King, right? He can only put things in your path to tempt you with that. And so you start driving, you pass Burger King, you beat it, you get down to exit 33, you start seeing different things, you see Cracker Barrel, and then you see all these people coming out full, you're like, I can eat there. Look at that, it's gotta be good. Everybody else is eating there. It's gotta be filling. And so if we fall for that, we don't live the path that God has already designed. He said, this is the food you should eat. Go to that exit and eat there, and you will not hunger or thirst again. But yet we always get sidetracked a lot of times and think, well, the devil made me do it. No, our own desires, if we're not tamed, if not done in a way that we live out our life, will lead us down those paths. You notice when you are full, 
And they bring the dessert menu around, and you're like, mm, no, too full to eat it. Unless it's ice cream, I'm always eating it. I will always make room. Because uh, it fills in the cracks, right? Ice cream just fills in all those cracks where all the food didn't make it. So it's got a good, good policy. Good policy. But when we go in through those things, we have to remember that, that the devil can't force us. It's own desires. I think about when they were at the well with a Samaritan woman, and they were all hungry. And Jesus sent the disciples out to go get food. And when they came back, they're like, all right, we got food, Jesus. And he's like, I'm full. And they're like, what did you eat? Well, we, didn't, we didn't see anything. But he filled up on so much of God that his other hungers had no room to be filled. Right? And that's the thing. If we fill up on God, we fill up on his word, there will be no room for hunger or anything else. There will be no room to fill up on these bad things. So next, we should unmask the enemy. Right? The question is, are you going to let your desires get a handle on you, or are you going to get a handle on your desires? Right? We need this enemy unmasked. We're the problem, right? The on us is on us. If you don't know what the word on us is, you learned a new word today. It just means the, you know, the responsibility is on us. I just like the way it sounds. So and someone said the buck stops here, right? Our desires. You might ask, well, what is a desire? Our desires and hunger is an appetite that God himself put into us. Right? Like we said, that, that we start filling them with the wrong things. And that's the problem. We start eating um, from the wrong table. That's wrong, because our desires are given, our desires are great. Our, we're sexual human beings, so our desire for that is great, but within a marriage compound, when we start going outside of that marriage, we start going outside of that commitment, then that's when issues start arising. So desires are good, desires are what God gave us. It's when we use the wrong thing to fill them. So that's one thing we have to remember. So when we're unmasking the enemy, what is my desire? Is it good? Yes, my desire is good. Now, how can I fill this in a way that I can still walk righteously? I can still walk in a way uh, that I don't feel guilt, I don't feel shame, and then pretty soon after you don't feel that, you'll walk in that way, right? So it's not the hunger that's the problem. It's our unwillingness to obey that the source of our consumption. Right? The next thing is we should understand that there can be victory. We've seen victorious things from these. Just like I said, I'm not tempted by, by drugs or, or heroin or anything like that. Why? Because I defeated that. When I was young, yes, I did drugs. Yes, I did. But when you get past and you're filled, that temptation goes away. Now, you'll start getting tempted by new things. Um, and those things will go away as you start feeding on God because you won't be tempted by stuff if you're already full. And that's what we were saying is that we have to remember that he who's greater than us is greater than in the world. And if we fill ourselves so full of Jesus, so full of his word that he's given us, that those temptations, those things that other people struggle with, will not be a struggle for us because we're so full of God that it just oozes out. And there's no room for anything else to come in. If you think about when Jesus was tempted, He spent 40 days in the wilderness. By the end, he was starving. He was hungry. He was thirsty. It's not at the beginning the Satan became tempted. Is that when Jesus was empty? When he was starving and hungry? 
And he just wanted to fill. He said, look, if you, if you go to Israel, you're not stoned to bread, right? And he said, no, I don't feed you. And what he did is he answered it was it is written, right? He, he answered it from the Old Testament. It is written. It is written. It is written. And so when the enemy comes and attacks, say, you need this. And then, no, it is written that I don't need this. He says, you need this. No, no, it is written that I do not need this. I have everything that I have because of God. I don't need this to fill a gap. I don't need this to fill a void because God filled every void that I have. There's no more me. And your Paul said it, you must die to yourself daily, right? And then renew your mind on good things. So we cannot continue to feed those desires and feed those temptations with the bad thing and expect God to be moving in our lives, expect to be witnessing to others, expect to see change in our families, change in our communities, change in the society that we live in if we keep falling for the same scheme over and over. And it starts with us. These are things that we have to conquer. And then there's three steps to temptation. First, we need to understand the, the steps that temptation takes. We see in 14 and 15 how temptation comes about. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then when that desire has conceived and given birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So what are the steps of temptation? After we realize we're, on our own, we're our own worst enemy and we're responsible for the temptation that comes from and where it takes us, we need to ask how it takes form in our lives. First, it's through enticement. Right? It says temptation comes with enticement which attracts our desires. So what entices you? What attracts you? Those things you need to think about because if those things are entrapping you, those things are going to lead you eventually to that death. Remember the desires that God given. The desires have proper place and must be spirit controlled. Yet we find ourselves straying from this all the time. When I was a kid, we had a game we played called Tag. And I know a lot of kids, I see them playing it outside. They might have new names, Mankind. Uh, sardines, whatever it might be. Uh, but tag was it, right? And so you ran around, and, and your goal is to stay away from the bad guy, the enemy, the one that's going to tag you and make you out. But there was always a provision when you played tag. There was always something called home base. And see, the Word of God is our home base. And if we stay on that, we can't be tagged out. But as soon as you get off that, is that's when the enemy says, he doesn't have to push you off it. He doesn't have to pull you off from home base. We intentionally go out by our enticement, we walk away from it, and then we wonder why we keep getting tagged out, because we're not staying focused on the Word, we're not staying in the Word, we're not being filled with what God has already given us. The next one is entrapment. The devil's second move is entrapment. He entices us with something, right? They look good, right? And then it's wonderful and pleasurable, and it tells you, hey, these, all these things are great. You don't have to wait till marriage. You don't need to keep a tight rein on your tongue. You can say what you want. You don't need to keep, you know, it feels good, it feels free, and just do it, right? That's what the world's telling us. Um, but you see, freedom, it doesn't come with things like that. You think about the words that they're using, entrapment, and, you know, and lure. These were... Words that were used in the colonial days for 
game for hunters, right? The lure, we talked about the fishing, but it, the entrapment, the entice was an outdoorsman's word, and the entice was you would set up a trap, and then you would entice the animal with something pleasurable for that animal, and he would not see the trap around it. He would only see that meat dangling or whatever he wanted, and that's how he got animals to, to trap them and eat them. And they fell for it every time. And that's the same thing that the enemy does. He doesn't push us into the trap. He just puts something luring there for us to look at you. I want that. I need that. I can't wait till marriage for that. I, I have to have it. And then you get in it and the trap closes and it's too late. You're trapped in that cycle. And it's like a playlist on Spotify that just keeps looping it. And you think you get to the good song and you're like, I'm past it. And then boom, you know, the heavy metal pops out on your thing. You're like, oh no, I'm back into it. Not that there's anything wrong with heavy metal, uh, but I'm just saying that, that you don't want to get trapped in that loop because once you're in that loop, you can't get past it. And that's why I recommend that 21-day detox because it will get you past that loop of that entrapment and that path that you're building in your mind that you keep falling into no matter how hard you try to get out of it, you just keep doing it. I think about Paul, right? Like, why do I keep doing what I, I don't want to do and I, I don't want to do what I do, right? It's, it's a trap that we all fall into, and James is giving us ways to get out of it. The next thing, the next step of the temptation is endorsement, right? So when does it become sin, right? Verse 15 speaks about um, what, like, what I like to call endorsement, right? So you think about we just had an election. And just recently, and so what do people do? They endorse it. Say, I like this person. This person's great. I want to follow this person. He has great ideas. And so when we wrap our arms around this sin, when we wrap our arms around this temptation, this bad desire that we're following, we're saying, look, I like this. I endorse this. This is something that I want to partner with in my life. And you might hide it behind closed doors, but when you do that, you're partnering with it. You're saying, I endorse this. This is okay. Um, I think about Samson, right? He used to endorse it all the time. He'd just get out and shake it off. All right, I'm good, I'm good. And, and a lot of times we do the same thing. We're like, God's grace covers all my sins, right? We turn into the Second Corinthians church. We're like, oh, look how great God is. No matter what I do, he still loves me, and I'm covered, right? And we have to get out of that because it's leading us down a path that eventually that sin will show outward. We think, I mean, he used conceived, right, as sin, as birth. So, the first 30 days, you usually don't see any proof of conception because you're in that thing, but you're still pregnant, you feel nothing yet, but then after that, it starts showing, and then people start noticing that you're pregnant with that sin, you're pregnant with that problem, you start backing away from church, you stop showing up to functions, you don't go to a small group, and, and you back away from people because they won't understand your temptation, they won't understand what you're going through. But we're telling you now, all of us are tempted. It might not be the same temptation, but we all struggle with something that we're fighting with. We struggle with something that we can't get past on our own a lot of times until we retrain, until we fill up with God's Word, we fill up with the good things that He has for us. And after the endorsement comes the enslavement, right? James uses the metaphor of conception and birth, right? Biology tells us for conception to take place, they have to be brought together, and the third one becomes a reality. So the two things are brought together are desires and the temptation. And then when those two things are together, a third one results in sin. And so you might say, I've allowed temptation to have the best of me. 
I'm there all the time and nothing happens to me. We hear that. I do it all the time and I'm still fine. I'm still worshiping God. I'm still praising on Sunday. You know, I'm not feeling anything, right? It's all good. Excuses we all use. Like this is not affecting me in the way that it affects other people. I can handle this. I don't have a problem. I'm still good. But yet, don't we know the actual moment deception takes place? That's done in secret. Yet, all at some point, deception becomes public. And it will eventually come out. And your life will be flipped upside down. And at that point, you're in crisis when you're trying to fix it. And how do I get past it? You're going to come to, to people and ask them, hey, how do I get this? But look, the two faces out of the two, you're not getting it back in. And so with, before you get to that point, you need to figure this out because once you get to that point, your whole world is going to shift. Your whole life is going to be turned upside down. And nobody knows about that we're loving it, right? A lot of times it's in secret. It's great. It's quiet. It's done behind closed doors. It's done with our hearts, right? Jesus said, look, yeah, they might not be doing it outside, but if it's in your heart and you, you've done it four times in your head, you've done it. It's there. I'm not saying four times is better than that. But two's okay. Three, 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 get close. Don't do it four. Uh, I'm just saying that if you do it over and over in your mind, eventually it will come out. Sin doesn't start with one big sin. You know, someone doesn't all of a sudden get stuck on black tar or heroin with a needle hanging out of their arm. It started slowly. It's okay to do this. I feel good. I'm nothing really affected. Then I start this. Just a little bit of this. You know, a little sniff here and there. And then next thing you know, you dive further in to find a greater high to mask the issues that are going on in your life. Find the, try to mask the problems you're having with a, with a high that you're getting for temporary. And then when you get to that enslavement part, it is hard to get out. And it's one of the most difficult things to be is addiction. We have many addiction places just set up for houses and half of people lose their jobs, lose their families, and lose everything. And then trying to reestablish their life after all the mistakes they make is, is one of the most difficult things you can do. And then we in the prison industry, we see guys all the time that, that have a life of that, that they did all these things they wish they could take back, but now trying to get out of prison and reestablish their life is not only difficult because no one will hire you the way people look at you. And then you end up in the same cycle because and then you blame people. Well, it's their fault I didn't get hired. So I'm going to go back to my old ways because that was safe. <coughs> so the fourth and final thing, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. <clears throat> the solution to temptation, right? So how do we do that? Verse 16 and 17 really helps us with that solution. First is victory is found when you are grateful for God's bounty. When we start realizing how grateful we are for things, that we have instead of what we don't we'll move past that point of temptation because we're so grateful that God has given us these gifts God has given me this person God has given me these kids no matter how bad they are God has given these gifts to me and there's glimmers of light in those kids there's glimmers of lights in that marriage there's glimmer of lights in that job that you have there's, there's glimmer of lights in, in everything that we have and we take time to be grateful people and fill the, our heart with that and say, God, thank you for those gifts. God, thank you 
we won't have time to be worried about what we don't have and what we don't want and what the temptations out there. I need this because the neighbor got three of them. I need this because they, you know, these people got no. I'm happy, God, where you have me. And let me be thankful every day of that. And the next is victory is found when we're guided by God's battle plan. And here are the five things I believe Scripture gives us when we're struggling with temptation. First one is fighting. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. Right? First Peter 8 and 9 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That he said, Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we need to fight. We can't just sit back and just do nothing and let the desires rule our life. That's we need to follow. James 4, 7, submit yourself therefore to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 1 Peter 2, 21 for to you this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow his steps. So who are you following? The example of Jesus Christ is who you should be following. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So follow him and you, your path will remain straight. Next, you need to flee. There are some sins that just you can't hang around with. There's some places you just can't go because the temptation is too strong. There's some places that you just can't even get close to because the temptation. So you just have to flee. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 2 Timothy 2, 22, So flee your youthful passions. Romans 13, 14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And then when you learned a long ago in Genesis, when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he just left his garment and, and he got out of there. Now it might not always end well when you flee, like it did for Joseph, but don't be discouraged and don't give up because you still fled from it. The next one, find a friend. This is one thing a lot of times we forget about in church. We're not all perfect people. If we realize that everybody here is tempted, everybody has fallen into temptation. Let's just be honest with everybody. If we realize that, that we're not perfect, look around, we're not perfect people. Rely on one another. Help one another. We've all dealt with some sort that might not be exactly the same. But we, I guarantee the majority of it is close to the same. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who are called on the Lord. Right? Proverbs 13.20, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Bad company ruins good morals. So we fight, and we follow Jesus, and we flee when we need to. 
and we find a friend to hold us accountable who we can trust to carry our burdens with us. And the next thing is we feed. Right? It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you in Psalm 119. Did Christ himself, when tempted, defeated the devil by quoting the Old Testament, starting with the replies, it is written, it is written, and it is written. So what is the solution? As we wrap this up, we fight, we follow God in the person of Jesus Christ. We flee when it comes to certain levels of morality and idolatry, and we find a friend to help us and we feed upon God's word, which is the word of truth. When we do that, and when you do that, and when I do that, we become more prepared to fight. We will be ready when the enemy comes our way because we acknowledge our temptation. We didn't discard it. We realize where we're wrong. We realize what we're tempted with. Each of us know it. But we need to acknowledge it. And so we'll be ready because we identified it. We're going to address it. And now we're going to be ready to resist it. Now comes the hard stuff. Now we have to go into this world where the devil puts all kinds of temptations before us in our path. And we are, to, we are called to go and live like Christ, saying no to sin and ungodly lusts, following him. James says that when we do that, we will receive a good and perfect gifts that only God can give. So I know that we're closing this, and we had a little altar service before, but, but I say right now, if you're fighting, and, and you're not winning, if you're too being tempted, and your desires are taking over what you're trying to do, this altar is open. There is our prayer team that will come and pray beside you. They will join in with that fight for you. There is no condemnation in us. We are all on the same playing field. We're all on the same team. We have to remember to look to one another that will help one another get through these things because sometimes you get weary. You get tired of fighting. So the altars are open. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. If you'd like more info about our church, if you'd like to make a donation to our ministry here at Transforming Life, go to www.tlchurchpc.com. If you haven't been to our church yet, we would love to meet you. Come by for a life-changing experience. God bless.